0: what is up guys it is turkey season here in the buckeye state good luck if you are getting in the woods Uh, we had limited hunting done by the squad over uh, opening weekend rick got out and uh, his nephew got uh, i think his first turkey on his own so congrats to that squad for for getting a bird down as for me uh, i'm hoping to get out maybe later in the week here and get some hunting in and if the birds don't cooperate, I probably will do some TSI if I hunt my small farm. If not, scouting is the concern. So we got that going on. The other thing I did want to mention on here is I've been putting a couple extra videos into like my self-producer class, which is geared towards guys wanting to accelerate their learning curve in solo filming, solo production. There's branding, photography, videography type discussions examples i've got i don't know six seven podcasts as well as like eight to ten videos <clears throat> that come with that course and i run that through patreon just to make that thing like a landing page but wanted to mention that don't plug that enough and i think some guys if they're wanting to accelerate the learning curve they can go there other than that let's get to cam the cameraman all right on the line with me if you will Cameron Durr, Cam the cameraman, Cam from Exodus. What am I missing there, Cam? Like what else is in your title responsibilities? Uh, video creator for Whitetail Cribs. A lot of people probably know that show as well as the other Exodus content.
1: Yeah, we're wearing many hats here. Over here uh, in the, in you're the a podcast Exodus. host. Podcast host. I do the accounting work for Exodus. <laughs> There's a there's a lot
0: <laughs> man that is a versatile piece i think uh i'm gonna tell chad he should, he should bump your pay hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> but wanted to have you on and discuss a, a variety of topics from mobile gear to arrows to uh out of state or, or hunting uh, locations that are a distance away from home i think a lot of that stuff is uh kind of going to be on people's minds probably more in the month once turkey season kind of wraps up but traveling to hunting, I feel like our, our core demographic does a good amount of that. And so I think you've got some good thoughts on that. You've hunted both states away, like if you will, but also maybe two to four hours away, which is a little bit of a different game. And I I, I want to ask you some some stuff on that. But if I had to pick a guy who has researched arrows, testing, broadheads, you have put in some time behind some equipment, but uh, hammer gear, uh, self-testing reading how many hours do you think you put into aero uh, configuration and testing
1: oh man it's it's research. really hard it's probably really hard to put like a a number on it I, we spent two weeks 10 hours a day in the summer um last year with a high-speed camera so like daylight to dark every single day, testing different configurations. And if you shoot three veins, if you shoot four veins, if you cut your arrow an inch shorter, what does it do? If you have your arrow launched from a certain point, what does it do? If you twist a string a certain way, what does it do? Um, So just in that like high-speed camera testing, there's a hundred hours plus. And then I host a podcast with uh, kind of co-host it with Dorj from Fireknock. So I spend two hours a week with him. And then like it has just consumed me to I'm not I'm spending eight hours, like a single full day every single week researching different topics around aeroflight and aero harmonics. And actually, it's kind of funny. I just got off the phone with my brother. He's an aerospace engineer at Ohio State, and I'm going to be spending a whole bunch of time with the Ohio State Aerospace Engineering Department testing all of the theories that everybody talks about within arrows with an engineering department. So like, if it is real, if it was a theory, we're testing it. And I'm going to put, I'm going to put a lot of things to rest with that testing on certain myths or theories on aeroflight, flight, specifically around high let off compound bows.
0: So I would, I mean, just rough quick math, you're easily over a thousand hours research into archery and arrow flight within the last year.
1: Yeah, just in the last year. Yeah. Easily over a thousand hours.
0: Nice. That is cool, man. And and when you started some of the podcasts, I called you, I think on your second or third podcast. I was like, like Cam, like, I need some Cliff Notes versions. I, I've heard a few things. Like, what are three quick takeaways for me that I'm like, you know, some of the information is very high level. It's, and yeah. we talked a lot about recovery rate. Um, because I was shooting some micro diameters, and that was like a sticking point in some of your research that you I don't have the numbers in front of me but it was like some of these deer that people are shooting like especially inside of 10 yards that arrow may not even be fully recovered if they're shooting a certain setup can you talk a little bit about some of that discovery
1: sure yeah so kind of the the number one key to maintaining energy in your arrow is how fast it recovers how fast it reaches equilibrium and when you think about what that looks like in an arrow that's just when it's spinning a nice tight elliptical spin so it's not gyrating it's not going all crazy and the smaller diameter shaft that you have the longer it takes for it to get to that tight elliptical spin because um to get a spine to be stiff enough in a smaller diameter shaft, you have less surface area, you have less to work with. You need the inner diameter wall thickness to be a lot thicker, to be able to withstand and be tough enough to be a 300, 250 spine arrow shaft. So what that does, the thicker the wall, the slower the reaction. So a larger diameter shaft with a thinner wall is able to take that vibration in the arrow get the accept the force curve and recover a lot faster because it's a quicker reacting material and whereas um the thicker wall George calls it the elasticity memory effect and basically all that mean all that means is that it's slower to react so it takes the same amount of force to bend a 246 250 spine and a 166 250 spine it's spined that way that's what that means but the one six, six is going to react a lot slower because of how thick the wall is.
0: So getting to that, what I'll call like good arrow flight, right. That you gave me, do you have the numbers in front of you that, Hey, like your setup might not be recovering if you're shooting the micro diameter until it was yards, you were measuring it in. And
1: from the testing that we did, we found that, um, it's kind of a lot tighter between arrow shafts than you would think, but um, like a 166 shaft wasn't recovering for us. 19 yards was the point that it would correct and um, hit that tight elliptical spin. 19 yards. So when you think of the impact of an arrow, well, you want that impact to be straight. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea between like people say like you want high foc so when your impact is straight it pulls it through Mm -hmm. but if you have um high foc micro diameter shaft and your impact is at 10 degrees or five degrees or three degrees the back end of that arrow is going to keep going and it's going to wobble
0: yeah
1: and if you it's a real simple test if you take something and cut it with a knife and you cut straight down on it it's a lot easier to cut if you turn your knife you got to put more force into it to cut it simple it's really simple so you want your arrow to be recovered and straight upon impact so a 166 shaft isn't fully recovered until about 19 yards um if the further uh, the larger the shaft gets that number decreases Mm. like a 204 was it like 14 yards and a standard diameter 246 was like 10 yards. And then you add the, um, arrow concept system from fire Knock, which we licensed for the XS MMT shafts and that yardage number turns into feet. Yeah. So once that bow is launched within a, like th- within three yards, you're
0: it, pretty much it's stabilizing and flying efficiently.
1: Yeah. And what that does is number one, it gives you an impact point that is perpendicular straight and all that, any, any harmonics in the arrow, any vibration is lost energy. So mm-hmm. the quicker you can stabilize, the less energy loss you have, the more energy you have to put into your target.
0: Which is wild. Cause like, I feel like bow hunting, like you said, 19 yards. I bet 30 ish percent, maybe 40% of the deer I've shot with archery equipment have been inside of 19 yards, like a a, a good amount and it's like okay, so my arrow was not even like hitting them with with max efficiency inside what we call bow hunting range, if you will. Like I was just I was blown away by that that oh thought or statistic, if you will. Like uh, that's a very important thing that, that that I took away from several of those early podcasts. One final question here regarding arrows and and archery tuning. What do you think is the most overlooked aspect of guys looking to to I don't know maximize that
1: to to get like the best flight to to optimize flight
0: to to essentially get in hands the the best hunting arrow for their setup like uh, you know if you looked across the market or across consumers ah, guys you should probably put a little more dollars or thought into this part of your arrow setup
1: okay so that's that's pretty simple because um can cons- accuracy and durability are like hand in hand, the number one things that you need in a hunting arrow, right? You got to be able to hit where you put it and you need it to withstand, um, the shot. So within those things, you need those two things to be consistent, consistent accuracy, consistent durability, consistent flight. And the easiest way that I don't see many people doing for consistency is spine alignment, spine indexing. So, um, you need to a lot of people will do it within knock tuning it takes a really long time but how many people do you know that like one just, guy yeah in my like, phone
0: book and and i've got some good caliber deer hunters in my phone book but there yeah, is the, one guy that does second level archery tinkering everyone else is more focused on scouting and and getting their their hunting stuff in order getting their food plots in pulling cams they're all focused on that aspect of it
1: yep and then when it, like when you think about it when it comes down to being able to take that animal that you scouted for you need your arrow to do the job and you need to be able to rely on that arrow. And everyone has like five or six arrows in their quiver.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I guarantee you, if you ask people, they have one arrow that they trust. And that's because that arrow is the closest to being spine indexed. Mm-hmm. The rest of them are not. So you can't just fletch an arrow that consistent from arrow to air to arrow. Every arrow shaft is going to have a, different first dynamic bend in the arrow so meaning it's just going to flex on a different axis it's going to flex from a different point there's a weak spot in the spine and if you put the cock vein on the weakest part of the spine when you release the arrow every shaft is going to react the same way and catch drag the same way off the flight so then you have consistency and then you can spend a little bit of time knock tuning to get the perfect tune from that but like the most important thing to have a consistent arrow that where you can trust any arrow that you grab does if you shoot a buck and miss it and you go to grab that next arrow, and you're like oh man this one doesn't shoot very good that's mm. that time that you thought to think about that the buck's gone you need to be able to trust every single arrow why would you buy 12 if you could only trust one so having consistent flight between them the biggest missed step in that is spine indexing
0: Interesting. Interesting. Is that easy to do? Like, I don't even know. In, 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 or is that something that some companies do for you?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, some companies claim to do it for you, but the problem with that is, um, when you buy a full length shaft that comes, quote unquote, spine aligned, once you cut that shaft, the spine moves because it's a spiral. Sure. It's the spine in the arrow is spiral, so if you cut it and you put your fletchings on a different area. Now that spine is moving. So a factory spine aligned arrow, then you build, you're moving the spine. So that is kind of like misleading where mm-hmm. they think like, Oh yeah, we're spinal line this for you, but not once you cut them and not, everyone is going to cut the same, like at the same point in the spiral. So you're going to have erratic flight like crazy. Mm. Um, we are doing it for people. We're, we're doing it. That's the last step before we fletch it. We'll mm-hmm. take um, fire pap system, spinal on the arrow. So, you know, out of all 12 of your arrows, they're all going to react the same way. There's no questions about it.
0: That's the best thing I like about the the MMT model of doing things is go scouting, go get time in the evening to shoot your bow, get your gear in order. Like you can focus on the pursuit, your arrow show up to the door and it's almost plug and play. Like That's what I I love about it because I can focus on other things that I want to devote more hours to. I'm not an archery tech. I'm not super nerdy on arrows, but I definitely like the plug-and-play aspect of the MMT.
1: Yeah, we're giving people a super high technical arrow without having to think about it. It's simple. You go place the order. We do all the legwork. The arrows show up. You shoot them, and you're like, oh, I'm ready to hunt. We're good.
0: Okay, Cam, let's shift gears because you do a lot of talk on your podcast about mobile hunting, minimalist, don't take X, Y, and Z to the woods. I found this little gizmo that I really like. One, what is your current mobile s- system, if you will, for, for hunting and, and what you, how'd you settle on that?
1: So I basically have some priorities and what I need my gear to do. Number one, it has to be lightweight. Number two, it has to be packable. Number three, it has to be functional. And I'm pretty much in that order where if something is super functional, but packs not so well, or is super functional, but is heavy, I will tend to give up some functionality to get more lightweight or to get more packability. So, um, that's how I kind of prioritize what I'm using. I have a plethora of different lightweight gear that I can use. Um, I'm a saddle hunter and 90% of the time, or I'm on the ground, I would maybe even 70 to 30%. So um, I'm running the Latitude Method 2 saddle. I chose that because of the functionality, the lightweight, the packability. It's a two panel saddle that packs into a one panel saddle when you're walking. There's no metal, there's no noise. Um, I'm using the, I've like three different kind of stick models. I was using the B-Sticks for a really long time because of the climbability and the functionality and the weight of them. But as more and more things come out, they don't pack very well. So I have moved on to, um, different items. I ran the elevate, um, their sticks for a little while. If I don't have to go very far because they are a little bit more heavy. I do like the way they stack together with the magnets. But, um, last year, what I spent the most time using was the tethered one sticks because, They almost had everything in the functionality. They climb really well. They're super lightweight and they pack like you don't even know that you have them with you. Um, I use the Sitka tool belt pack and my sticks have to match the way that I carry them in. I can't have sticks that pack really bulky because I store them underneath the lumbar pack.
0: And you run them horizontal, right? Yes. So yeah, they're going horizontal almost across your butt, right? Yep
1: yep right along the bottom there's like uh there's a couple straps on the bottom there that they just slide right in the tethered one sticks in iowa I, there was times where i like almost started walking back to the truck because i thought i forgot my sticks because mm. of the way they, they packed is like they weren't even there you so take in
0: two three four three, depends on the mission
1: three with a two-step aider on the first one okay. um i i te- typically don't hunt very high i haven't really found it necessary. Um, if I do end up having to get a little bit higher, I just stretch out as far as I can and I'll put my knee up on that stick and pull myself up. And
0: would you ever transition that double step aider?
1: I have. Yeah, I have, um, in scenarios like out in North Dakota where there wasn't a whole lot of cover, there was a a couple trees and they're just sticks. Then I had to get a little bit higher. I did in that scenario, but I I didn't find it necessary most of the time. Um, Mm. that aider I'm using is the ultimator, the, um, it's a three. It can be a three-step or two-step, and yeah. then the step lengths are adjustable, oh, so you nice. can you can change. If you, you kind of more.
0: hear it as it gets close to that bottom step, if you will.
1: Yep, and if you have like if you're hunting in the late season and you have more layers on and you can't step as high, you can shorten that up a little bit to to customize your leg um, gait, so to speak. So um, that's the stick setup. I am. I did order the Latitude carbon series sticks. So I figured I'm you would. I'm kind of excited to see how those work because those pack really well. They're lightweight and yeah. I think they're going to climb really well. I haven't put them on a tree yet. So um, using the X Wing platform from Latitude because that is like the smallest, most functional platform that I can find without dealing with the Ring of Steps. I just wasn't a big fan of the Ring of Steps.
0: I yeah. thought it. Dude, I. Kinda- s- I emergency saddle hunted one time and I had to stand on steps and dude, that kills your boots or feet. super uncomfortable. Like that was not ideal. I I mean to each their own, but, but yeah, I I definitely think even just a smaller platform to, to, to to maybe combo with that. Uh, I could not imagine hunting all day, just standing on steps.
1: No. When I first started saddle hunting, I would just stand on the top stick. I would just stand on the steps of my top stick. And I could only mm. do that for a couple hours until it got really uncomfortable. But in my head, I always wanted to be as close to the tree as possible. The goal, like being a saddle hunting, the tree is a big advantage to you. So, but you want to be as close to that cover as possible. You don't want to be sticking way out. I've always kind of leaned towards like being the tree, like yeah. getting as close to the tree as possible. So a small platform that doesn't put you way out against the tree, looking like a tree limb. Um, I don't think that's the best way to use a saddle platform. So I went with the X wing platform because it allows me to stay tight to the tree, but I can still use those wings to have 360 degrees of shooting ability. Um, just kind of a no brainer.
0: Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you, have you ever messed with like the individual step type systems that are out there? Like I think Bowman has some and, scroll uh, steps. Yeah. And Cranford obviously has like really good screwing steps, which aren't exactly super legal everywhere. But like I, I have messed with the like taking three sticks and like two steps like in your pockets because you can climb the tree with a stick on each side. Like it's very fluent. Um, Have you messed with any of those like any of those?
1: I have not. And I want to say, why do I feel like it was you that told me not to? Someone told me to stay away from because they were really loud.
0: Ooh, I you know, out of all the steps I've messed with, I haven't like they none of them are are super loud. Um, I, I you know, I've messed with the the Bullman. They like redesigned them last year, and he's he's teased on his social like uh, some sort of hook type mechanism that I think would make them a lot easier to use. That's mm-hmm. that's the big negative. They're they're a polymer like a almost like the the handgun plasticky metally so to me that that screams is strong enough right if you're going to sure. do, do an explosive propellant out of something it should be pretty solid yeah. um but to me it's like uh I'm looking at what he's doing and hopefully I I don't care who can manufactures it but I would still I'm I'm interested to see if somebody plus I run a lot of cams elevated and those pack in a backpack a little better than a double stick
1: sure yeah that's a good point I, I- it was Josh Tolker from the uh, hunting beast that kind of was like those, it was the Cranford steps, the fold out like squirrel step type mm. things. And he's like, I tried them. They're just really loud.
0: Yeah. So- I could never get those as tight as the bullmans. Um, so I kind of, if, if somebody was looking at one, I maybe might lean that way at this point. Although screwing steps dude, Cranford's got them. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know. And, and I will say this too, their accessories were like your, the row hooks and stuff like that whatever tip they do like it just goes into the tree like butter like left-handed is not a problem like it's legit
1: that's the, that's like the biggest thing for me with those type of um, accessories that screw in like if you don't have the right tip i'm not using it
0: yeah you're sitting there just getting four out berm <laughs> after yeah hanging your set
1: yeah sweating yeah, yeah. Thank
0: you. exactly so cam you have done some variety of travel hunts in the last uh two three four years and i wanted to ask you you know, you've gone out West to hunt some whitetails, and that obviously is a longer commute. You're probably there for a longer extended period of time and, and doing that. I don't know if it's designed to do before you can start hunting at home, but talk a little bit about why you decided, Hey, I want to go drive a bazillion miles and hunt some whitetails.
1: Sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons behind the motivation for it. Um, number one, it just fits the way that I like to hunt more than hunting around home. I'm an open kind of open prairie kind of guy. I like to see a long way. I like to watch the animal do what they're doing. Um, I like to kind of game plan around a visual off a of whitetail. So that lent itself to going out West into the more open ground. And then when I got out there, I just fell in love with number one. Yeah, you're, you're sharpening your skills before you come back home. And I have a lot more time to hunt around home than I do out there. So I have to be pretty efficient while I'm out there. So it kind of puts you into a high pressure scenario with having to get it done, having to make sure that you're making all the right moves. And then when I come back home, I'm sharper. So I'm not screwing up the, the, I get less opportunity at home, even though I have more time because it's just a little bit harder to hunt. So allows me to sharpen my skills. And then traveling to hunt to me has brought me like kind of a, a newborn passion for just seeing new places having new experiences, hunting in different ways and hunting with different people. So I have, uh, um, made a Iowa went by myself. I went solo Mm. last year in Iowa. Never. I will never do it again. Just from having another person to bounce ideas off of. If you get in a hairy situation, who are you going to call? I had some kayak trips that I was like, if I roll in the, this water that I've never been in before in my life, who am I going to call? No one knows where I'm at. So, um, it, hunting with people has kind of been a motivation for that as well. Because if you tell someone like, Hey, I'm going to go to Kansas, you want to come hunt? They're going to say, yeah, like yeah, I'm, I'm in Northeast Ohio, going to go, uh, hunt a 20 acre parcel. You want to come out? And like, nah, I think I'll pass.
0: Mm, so I could see that. That's and... more,
1: that's part of the motivation.
0: Yeah. Now making that big commute, anything you found to be efficient from something in your vehicle to some gear you're bringing to, um, are you saving on travel expenses by sleeping in a tent? Any cool like far away travel gear that should be pointed out? Yes.
1: Yeah, so w- when I, uh, hunt in North Dakota, I usually travel with a bu- my buddy Trey, he has a cap on his truck. So that makes it really nice to kind of, if we get in some, uh, rain, we can just sleep in the, his back. I have a cot. It's called the King Camp Cot, and it's like a foldable cot, and it weighs like three pounds or something, which is really nice. It packs up like in the size of a little head pillow. Oh, um, wow. So it's a, that, that's been really nice. One, if I'm camping or I'm sleeping in the bed of the truck, I just lay that out. Keeps me off the ground. Um, so that is something that I have really enjoyed. A good sleeping bag. I have a uh, first light sleeping bag no it's a, it's a nemo sleeping bag that first light kind of uh, collaborated with um i'm a big coffee guy i gotta have coffee while i'm out there so i am a um either the jet boil coffee plunger i don't okay. know if you've seen those no or, I'm,
0: I, I'm gonna take a note here
1: yeah there's like a little coffee plunger that can go in your jet boil which is nice for having uh, a good cup of coffee while you're out there and i'm also just a I'll boil water and put it in a coffee press. I have a little portable coffee press. So Mm. those are uh, big staples for me when I'm traveling out there. Cause I like to, I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, out there glamping by any means, but I like to enjoy myself. I like to be comfortable. Um, I have a uh, what's the tent Alps mountain gear tent. It's a, this is like something I learned. If a tent says it's a two person tent, it's a one person tent. If a tent says it's a three person tent, it's a two person tent. So I have a three person Alps mountain gear tent, um, packs really small. It's pretty lightweight. I bought it for a trip to Colorado and, um, only used it once on the mountain. Mm -hmm. So any Turkey hunting trip, I go on any, um, deer hunting trip. I go on, it's always with me because it takes up almost no room. And if I get on a deer or on a bird or something, that's three miles away from where I'm staying, I'll just pitch a tent somewhere and uh have a nice comfortable place so that that's kind of the camping gear i'm i take like the least amount of stuff that i can take with me to get by but still be comfortable
0: yeah and i think it's important because i remember i asked chad this has been two years ago like when he was doing some big woods hunting and staying i was like you know do you take anything for 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 comfort and he's just roughing it and i'm like man like i've hunted alone in other states where you're isolated and like little things keep you going and it's like oh 100%. like I you, you got like a, I pre-made some some pasta one night or whatever and that was like you know I heated it up and with my stove and it was like warm good homemade food and that kept me going um I take you know when I stay in in my wall tent I've got a cot but then I throw even a pad on top of that uh because it's like you know Tony Peterson has talked about for years quality sleep on your like out-of-state whitetail hunts is like definitely needed.
1: Oh dude, I'm I'm yeah, 100 on board with that. Like, I'm not staying up all night drinking. Like, mm-hmm. I need to get some rest because I need to be sharp. The I I do use a pad. That king cot has these um like I don't they're elastic bands on the bottom of the cot, and you slide a pad underneath it. Okay, so nice. It's it's very streamlined. You don't have to worry about your pad like sliding off the cot. It's yeah. just stuck under there, but still gives you the padding. That uh. Yeah, that King Cot has been one of the the better purchases I've made for traveling and hunting because you can put it anywhere.
0: Nice. Yeah. And the, uh, the coffee recommendation, I think, is important, too, because like, yeah, if you who doesn't like a warm cup of coffee? Like, especially when you get to a place and maybe you're just driving roads, like figuring out parking, glassing, uh, other hunters like, dude, just sip in a, a, a good cup of coffee because you might be 15, 20 minutes from a gas station. If you're like, oh, I'll just run to town every time you burn a lot of time and fuel yeah. and money. Mm hmm. Um so something i wanted to ask um in general do you so you've also done some hunts where you're only like 2 to 4 hours away you've went to pennsylvania um with shirk is that different do you look at, at, at some of those trips that maybe are 2 to 4 hours away is something you might do multiple times in a season or is that like maybe a uh, back pocket type play where if you kill one early you can you can go there again um it, how does that differ from your big travel
1: I guess it depends on the location. I have some property in PA. I have some areas in West Virginia I can go hunt. And I have, um, obviously just drive a couple hours South in Ohio and I can go hunt. Um, to me, it has been more of a back pocket play. And the more and more I get into my position at Exodus and my goals for how I want to hunt, I am going to spend the majority of my time in November when um, everything's fired up out of state. So when I come home, if I tag out early, yeah, it's a back pocket thing. I'll go to West Virginia, I'll go to PA. So I don't treat those as um, like m- multiple trips, I guess, mm-hmm. unless there's a big deer, unless like, there's something going on that I'm like, I need to keep heading up there. I typically will drive almost every time that I hunt an hour though. So I don't, I don't have a total, I don't have a lot of ground super close to home. So anytime I'm hunting, it's typically an hour or okay. more.
0: Yeah. Oh, I wanted to ask this because you have gone West and killed some hammers. <laughs> but like when I go out of state, a lot of times, like I'll probably, I would say on average, I would shoot a buck that's five to 10 inches smaller than my home state. Cause I'm just like, I don't know what's out there. I have limited time like if i had like a, will uh, just paint a picture here october 15th and 120 inch like eight point comes in here in the home state like i'm probably passing that deer but let's say i went somewhere september 15th ish and th- that deer walks in and he maybe he's a little heavier 120 inch eight i'm probably shooting him oh, yeah. like no 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 there's no probably if he's framey ish yeah i'm shooting him.
1: yeah yeah um so i'm like where i'm at in my my uh stages of hunting i'm not to the point where i'm passing a pope and young deer Mm -hmm. and so home state out of state whatever like i'm shooting for trying to find a pope and young deer but it also depends on where i'm at how i'm hunting and what the goal is so north dakota i would have shot 115 inch deer if it was in full velvet i wanted to kill a full velvet deer i passed a deer i shot my north dakota buck this year i passed the deer that was bigger than him i had a bigger frame than him wouldn't have scored higher but had a bigger frame than him because he was shed and there was Mm. a full velvet deer with him so Mm -hmm. i shot the velvet one if that deer was he was 165 inches if he was 115 he would have got plowed too like i wasn't passing him okay wait
0: wait 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 so 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 i'm gonna so you're saying it well okay what if a 160 was the front deer he had shed his velvet. 160 no. the back, the back frame deer is full velvet 120 which one are you shooting
1: the 160
0: okay okay yeah. so there there is there, there there's probably somewhere where where the break even happens yeah but but you made the decision both good bucks i'm gonna take the velvet one
1: yeah so that that was the biggest deer of my life mm-hmm. so if it if it was the biggest deer of my life and he was shed i'm shooting him but if it's like a 10 inch gap one's full velvet one's not i'm shooting the velvet one now that i've shot the velvet one i don't think i would do that because dealing with the velvet was a mess yeah Um, but like in in iowa last year dude the experience of the hunt that i had i shot 120 inch buck in iowa but i Mm -hmm. had an absolute like amazing hunt and there was a tank of a buck with that deer and i didn't know which buck was what and i shot one and i freaked out so um yeah I'm, i'm just more about the chase memories not inches as greg litzinger would say i like it it's it's more about the experience and the situation i'm in if i have the exact hunt of like exact way i want to hunt and the deer's a little bit smaller i'm shooting
0: them Mm -hmm. yeah i like i like that thought a lot um and it's funny too like when stuff happens fast or if you debate sometimes that opportunity goes but like dave and i will pick up sheds and like there's a shed over here on the wall that we call the rib cage buck and he's like 110 inch uh 10 point, but side profile, he looks like a 150 because he's got five inch fours. And you're like, dude, if you saw that thing side profile, you were shooting it 10 out of five days a week. Like, <laughs> cause you're like, dude, that could be a 150, 160. Yeah. And so yeah, like I did, yeah, the, the inches thing is is man, that the, the experiences. And I will say that podcast you did when you got back when you were discussing how like you didn't want the trip to end. That deer were being deer. And like it was, it was like watching an episode of Midwest Whitetail every hunt or not every hunt, but like a lot more days than you get here in Ohio. Like to me, that was, that was a very powerful podcast, if you will.
1: It, it hits honestly that trip and like what happened and how it played out has changed like a hundred percent how I look at a lot of the things that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, that it, that made it more about the experience than anything. I was having kind of a little bit of a miserable time hunting around home. Mm-hmm. Trying to like figure out like trying to find a deer to the caliber that I wanted to shoot was like really hard. I was like, what's the point of hunting if, if I want to shoot 135-inch deer and I don't have one yeah. to, to shoot? So then I went out there and I was like, Oh my God, like the first day that I was in a tree, I saw 17 bucks hit one scrape. And I was like, what is going on? You I know, I won't a-
0: see 17 bucks all of the Ohio season with like I have 30 it plus in Ohio
1: in my life, dude. Like, I don't think I've saw that many different bucks in Ohio where I hunt in my life and it was like I never even picked my bow up by and I was never even like I was so infatuated with what was going on and just like watching them and then I wounded a really beautiful eight pointer and um the next morning I went out just to observe to see if maybe I see him again or then that morning the morning that I couldn't shoot anything because I had an arrow in a deer and I wanted to pit, like do what I needed to do to recover that deer I had the best hunt of the trip yeah i watched a 140 inch deer like kind of um harass a doe pinned her up against the fence wouldn't let her leave he was fighting off all the other bucks around him I, I for hours on hours i just sat in the tree snow falling down and just watching deer be deer and i never i didn't have the opportunity to even be like i'm gonna shoot one of these because i couldn't and I, I i had more fun then yeah it was amazing. Then I shot the buck that I shot, had an absolutely amazing hunt, and I was like, "Man, I gotta go home." <laughs> yeah. So yeah. yeah that that um that is another reason that plays into like traveling and getting those different experiences because I, I just can't have those here.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially yeah where where you set and and oh your location in the state and the surrounding states you can get to it's it's just not. It's not the core of the Midwest, uh, if, if you will.
1: It's the armpit.
0: Yeah. So, Cam, let me ask this: Do you have uh, plans in place for I don't know your your goals you're chasing here this season?
1: Yeah. So I'm going to go back out to North Dakota. I am. Um, I say this every year, but I think this is my last year that I'm going out there mm-hmm. because of what I'm talking. I want new experiences. I want to go hunt different places and test myself in different scenarios. I have two for two out there. And if I go three for three, it's like, how do you leave that? How do you, how do you end up wanting to go somewhere else? But I want to hunt early season in Wyoming. I want to hunt early season in Kentucky and I want to do different things. So um, North Dakota this year, trying to go out with a bang, maybe the last year for it. And uh, I'll draw, should draw a Kansas tag this year. So that is a hunt that i'm really 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 looking forward to that's going to test like that's going to test me to the max if i can hunt the way that i want to hunt i have like a vision of how i want it to go down i don't it's going to be one of those things where you get out there and the vision's gone it can't do that but um you're
0: going to do the uh white tail adrenaline decoy
1: yeah and i'm just going to try it until it works like i have a lot of time for this slated and i'm going to try it for 14 days until it until it works but um that's the goal at least you know I'm gonna go to an area where Chad had some success Clint Campbell's had some some success out there so we have kind of a little bit we know what's going on know what areas to focus on um but it's uh it's been a bucket list hunt for sure to try to get on the ground in the prairie with a whitetail and it, it has me really fired up
0: Nice, man. Now, will you devote less time um, than to uh, your, your Dakota trip? Because you're like, ah, I kind of, if, if I've only got X amount of days, I want to put 70, 80% of those in, in a Kansas new experience type hunt.
1: 100%. So My okay. North Dakota trip is, um, the season comes in on Friday. I'll get there Thursday, and I'll hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, come home. Okay. So it's four days.
0: Yeah. Is it hot as can be out there that time of year? Cause I have done some early season hunts that start in September and dude, it's miserable as far as like, I'm like, Oh, I'll scout all day, dude. It's like 85 and like the mosquitoes, the ticks, the snakes, like I I want no part of it after day one.
1: Yeah. It's, it gets pretty hot. We've gotten really lucky the last two years with when we've gone out there. Uh, The first year I went out there was a drought and the day I got there, it rained like an inch and it really cooled a lot of stuff off it was in the it, but it would be in the 80s in the day but it would get down in the 40s at night so when the temperature does drop it cools down fast and when you wake up in the morning it's pretty cool um but what's interesting out there is like you're a, you wanting to scout all day like mm-hmm. you there's no uh you're more efficient driving around because if you get out and walk you're just walking through a 600 acre field what are you going to find you know what I mean you're way more efficient getting up in the morning and scouting and seeing where deer are going back to bed
0: yeah that it's, almost seems like uh, tough to do like the easier thing the easier thing to execute the more comfortable thing the thing that doesn't feel like in the field scouting yeah I would struggle. We
1: struggled. we struggled with that the first year like we were trying to find areas that we could get out and go look around and we couldn't find year. And then mm. that night we drove around like, Oh, they're that's where they're at. So the yeah. next morning we drove around we're like, this is like way easier to, and it's way more efficient. We only have four days. Like you gotta be really efficient with your time.
0: Yeah, man. That's, that's cool. Um, I'm trying to think here. Oh, I, uh, one, one thing I did want to ask on some of your travel hunts uh, was you got to go with Mr. Shirk. Mm -hmm. for uh, a big woods pa hunt in person obviously he's done a handful of podcasts with you guys but what were maybe like a few sticking points that you were like after seeing him work in person and and hunting those those big woods deer like you're like that is cool or like he takes things to the next level by doing x did you have any major takeaways he just did
1: he runs so many cameras it's almost mind-boggling and um the the thing that I have like taken from that, that really hammered home is seeing where he's placing his cameras, correlating what deer he's getting, where, and like, it really hammered home edge habit, like super hard edge habitat, like hard transitions. Um, that's like his bread and butter, like clear cut edge hardwoods. There's a mock scrape there every single time and he's getting on good deer. Um, and then kind of the, the way that Steve's amazing because his information that he has gathered is from firsthand experience. He's not influenced from media, which I just think is amazing. And um, the amount of time that that guy just spends in the woods is kind of eye-opening to me. Cause it's like a, there's always the pressure aspect of like not wanting to put too much pressure in an area. And what you're able to get away with, if you do, if you have the right access, if you have the right, um, like, if you just follow the right steps, put the wind in your favor, that was pretty eye-opening. But the thing that I struggled with the most was hunting with him. I almost felt like I questioned him too much to where you cannot, it was like the first time, you cannot control the wind in big woods. You can't. And it was like hard for me to accept like hunting this edge on this wind. And then he was like, you just kind of have to hope that when the deer is there, the wind's not doing that. Or like when you have some activity, the wind's not doing that. So it kind of, I struggled to accept it, but what I got away with was amazing to me. I never really got, um, it just kind of allowed me to play that line a little bit more and take that application into some more predictable wind areas where I'm not as cautious about it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that is cool. I, I, I think, uh, I know he's doing like a scouting type class and I thought about even maybe booking some sort of semi-guided hunt with him just cause I want to, I want to learn from somebody who's doing things uh, at a big scale, a lot of experience, a lot of cams, like you said, I think I, I suggest- would learn a ton.
1: I'd recommend it. He's starting a YouTube channel too. There's a little plug for Steve, the Mountain Buck University. He's starting a little YouTube channel, but um, yeah, he's a wealth of knowledge. Um, what's what's weird, Byron? You're not gonna like you're gonna be like, what the heck? If you do a semi guided hunt and he tells you to go in an area where he has a tree stand, Mm -hmm. it is always a ladder stand.
0: (laughs) Fair enough.
1: Yeah, I was like, What? I gotta (laughs) I'm gonna get in that thing. I was like, it was weird, but um. It, it was fun. I learned, I learned a lot from him. I learned more from him after the hunt talking to him about what I saw and then mm-hmm. him being like, yeah, that's consistent with what we're seeing. And here's why we think that's happening.
0: Cool, man. Well, Hey, Cam, I appreciate you jumping on this. I know you leave for Turkey hunting here tomorrow. Um, but I appreciate you kind of carving out some time to, to make this happen. Uh, where can people find you?
1: Yeah. Uh, Cam, the cameraman on Instagram, the deer gear podcast, anywhere you see Exodus content um, right now, the exodus youtube channel is like we're going full bore so there's a ton of content going on there so yeah check check out i'd push more people to to exodus than to me but if you want to find me uh, cam the cameraman on instagram where is where you can find me
0: very good cam thanks for uh hopping on today
1: absolutely thanks byron